Guidelines in Practice Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism by Jennifer Speth. Abstract Venous Thromboembolism, VTE, a condition involving deep vein thrombosis and embolism, can cause death when left untreated. Hospitalized patients and those who have recently undergone surgery or have a cancer diagnosis are at an increased risk for VTE development. The updated AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, provides perioperative nurses with a variety of evidence-based recommendations associated with the topic. This article provides an overview of the guideline and discusses recommendations for a VTE protocol, VTE and bleeding risk assessments, pharmacologic and mechanical VTE prophylaxis, postoperative ambulation, and patient and family education. It also includes a scenario that illustrates the importance of the VTE assessment and the use of mechanical prophylaxis for high-risk patients undergoing operative or other invasive procedures. Perioperative nurses should review the guideline in its entirety and implement recommendations in operative and procedural settings. Venous thromboembolism, VTE, involves the formation of a blood clot that obstructs blood flow. This condition includes deep vein thrombosis, DVT, which is when a blood clot forms in a deep vein, for example, lower leg, thigh, pelvis, as well as a pulmonary embolism, PE, which is when the clot breaks loose and moves to the lungs. Deep vein thrombosis can cause death if not treated early. Everyone is at risk for developing VTE. However, individuals who are currently or have been recently hospitalized are recovering from surgery, or being treated for cancer, are at an increased risk. The revised AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, provides perioperative team members with a variety of evidence-based recommendations for 1. A VTE protocol 2. VTE risk and bleeding risk assessments 3. Pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis 4. Mechanical VTE prophylaxis. 5. Postoperative ambulation. 6. Patient and family education. 7. Documentation. 8. Education. And 9. Quality. The AORN Guideline Development Team assessed the available evidence and included recommendations when the benefits of the initiative clearly would exceed the harms. In general, High-to-moderate-quality evidence supports recommendations. The AORN Guideline Development Team also made conditional recommendations when the benefits of the initiative likely would exceed the harms. Any level of evidence supports conditional recommendations under certain conditions. The evidence table for the prevention of venous thromboembolism can be found at https colon double slash aorn.org slash docs slash default hyphen source slash guidelines hyphen resources slash clinical hyphen research slash nursing hyphen research slash evidence hyphen rating hyphen and hyphen tables slash prevention hyphen of hyphen venous hyphen thromboembolism slash vte hyphen evidence hyphen table hyphen 2022 dot PDF. This article provides an overview of the recommendations associated with the VTE protocol, VTE risk and bleeding risk assessments, 
pharmacologic and mechanical VTE prophylaxis, postoperative ambulation, and patient and family education. It also includes a scenario depicting practical application of the discussed recommendations. Table 1 identifies some guideline recommendations that are not discussed in this article. Perioperative nurses should review the revised guideline in its entirety for additional information that may affect their practice. VTE Protocol An interdisciplinary team comprising a clinical leader, medical staff members, for example, surgeons, endocrinologists, patient representatives, a quality improvement facilitator, and representatives from a variety of departments, for example, pharmacy, nursing, anesthesia, information technology, should establish an evidence-based protocol for VTE prevention. The protocol should include a standardized process for conducting VTE and bleeding risk assessments, as well as an appropriate tool for the VTE risk assessment. In addition, it should provide clinical decision support with automatic alerts for prophylactic measures according to the level of VTE or bleeding risk. The team should design the protocol to facilitate implementation, consistent application, inclusion in the clinical workflow, and compliance monitoring. The team also should outline the protocol in the facility's policies and procedures. Using the ACS-NSQIP, American College of Surgeons National Surgical Quality Improvement Program Database Researchers conducted a historical cohort study, that is, between 2006 and 2014, to determine the risk and timing of VTE after major abdominal or pelvic urologic procedures, N equals 65,100. They discovered that the relative risk of VTE was significantly higher for patients who underwent radical cystectomy when compared to those who underwent laparoscopic nephrectomy. Relative risk equals 7.0, confidence interval, CI, equals 5.2 to 9.3. The VTE risk for patients who underwent open nephrectomy compared to those who underwent laparoscopic nephrectomy was 3.4 times greater. Relative risk equals 3.4, 95% CI equals 2.4 to 4.6. The researchers concluded that procedure-specific thromboprophylaxis guidelines are needed to facilitate standardized, evidence-based VTE prophylaxis for patients undergoing urological procedures. The interdisciplinary team should evaluate if a nurse-driven protocol to streamline the ordering process for initiation of mechanical VTE prophylaxis, for example, an intermittent pneumatic compression, IPC, device, is feasible. AORN conditionally recommends including, quote, nurse-initiated mechanical VTE prophylaxis with IPC for patients with no contraindications who are identified to be at risk for VTE, end quote, in the facility's VTE prophylaxis ordering process. In Australia, researchers of a multi-site study, that is, intervention group at one site, control group at another, discovered that a nurse-led VTE intervention program increased adherence to recommended VTE prevention strategies. The rate of preoperative nurse adherence with VTE prevention strategies was 93% at the intervention site and 41% at the control site. Nurse adherence to completing the VTE risk assessment, 99.0% versus 0%, and providing patient education, 
99.5% versus 74.3% was significantly higher at the intervention site when compared to the control site. P is less than 0.001. VTE and Bleeding Risk Assessments When performing a preoperative assessment, perioperative nurses should use a standardized, evidence-based tool to determine the patient's risk for developing VTE. Assessing patients preoperatively helps to identify appropriate VTE prophylactic interventions. The tool should be validated, be easy to implement, and support standardized communication of VTE risk. It also should involve a risk score or category to allow stratification of VTE risk. Use of a standardized tool can help clinicians improve accuracy when assessing VTE risks, facilitate team member communication, and encourage proper implementation of VTE prophylaxis. The Caprini VTE Risk Assessment Model is validated for use with perioperative patient populations. The cutoff scores between risk groups are not consistent for all procedures or populations. For example, a Caprini model score of 3 to 4 reflects a moderate risk of VTE for patients undergoing general or abdominal pelvic surgery and a low risk for patients undergoing plastic or reconstructive surgery. The interdisciplinary team should create a standardized bleeding risk assessment for perioperative nurses to use preoperatively as part of the VTE protocol. General risk factors associated with bleeding complications can include active bleeding, a history of major bleeding, uncontrolled systemic hypertension, untreated bleeding disorders, acute stroke, severe renal or hepatic failure, anticoagulant, antiplatelet, or thrombolytic therapy, and thrombocytopenia. Study results show that consideration of Caprini model scores and subsequent use of pharmacologic prophylaxis, that is, medication to prevent VTE, when the score is at least 7, can reduce VTE risks without significant increase in bleeding. Perioperative nurses should use the results of the VTE and bleeding risk assessments when collaborating with team members, for example, surgeon anesthesia professionals, and determining appropriate VTE prophylaxis. During postoperative handovers, nurses should discuss any intraoperative events, for example, length of surgery, transfusion, that may have elevated the patient's VTE and bleeding risks. Some patients, for example, those undergoing major orthopedic surgery, may require an extended duration of prophylaxis after discharge. Pharmacologic VTE Prophylaxis Pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis involves administering anticoagulant medications, for example, aspirin, vitamin K antagonists, low-molecular weight heparin, low-dose unfractionated heparin, to inhibit blood clotting. Before administering pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis, the perioperative nurse should assess the patient for contraindications, such as active bleeding, pregnancy, allergies to the planned medication, ophthalmic surgical procedure, neuraxial spinal anesthesia, or history of thrombocytopenia. They also should ask the patient about any cultural or religious concerns associated with the planned medication such as objections to the use of products derived from animal sources. The nurse should notify the anesthesia professional and prescriber when a contraindication or concern exists. The perioperative nurse should administer pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis 
according to the prescriber's orders, facility policies and procedures, local, state, or federal regulations, and accepted standards of practice. After administering the medication, they should assess the patient for adverse effects, such as hematoma formation, neurological deficits, thrombocytopenia, and injection site irritation. If they identify any adverse effects, they should notify both the anesthesia professional and prescriber. Mechanical VTE prophylaxis Mechanical VTE prophylaxis during operative or other invasive procedures includes IPC devices, see Figure 1, graduated compression stockings, GCS, early ambulation, and foot and ankle exercises. When prescribed, perioperative nurses should implement mechanical prophylaxis safely and effectively. They also should, quote, verify that IPC devices are functioning and GCS are applied before regional or general anesthesia is administered, end quote. Mechanical VTE prophylaxis may be effective alone or in combination with pharmacologic prophylaxis. Results of a retrospective case control study on the effectiveness of preoperative mechanical prophylaxis in patients older than 70 years undergoing hip fracture surgery showed that symptomatic DVT was significantly reduced in the intervention group. Odds ratio equals 0.28, P equals 0.042. However, there were no significant differences regarding symptomatic PE across both groups. These results show that preoperative mechanical prophylaxis may be beneficial for preventing postoperative DVT without the additional risk of bleeding in older adult patients with hip fractures. Results of a Cochrane systematic review with meta-analysis showed that IPC combined with pharmacologic prophylaxis was more effective at reducing PE and DVT than pharmacologic prophylaxis alone. The reviewers noted that some of the evidence was low quality and included a risk of bias. They concluded that additional studies on combined modalities are needed. Before initiating use of IPC devices or GCS, perioperative nurses should assess the patient for potential contraindications, such as 1. Congestive heart failure symptoms, for example, pulmonary edema. 2. Severe peripheral vascular disease. 3. Leg conditions, for example, dermatitis, recent skin graft, that pneumatic compression may aggravate. 4. Sensitivities or allergies to the device material. And 5. Factors that prevent proper fit, for example, anatomical size. In addition, the use of IPC is contraindicated when the patient has pre-existing DVT, and the use of GCS is contraindicated when the patient has sensory impairment, for example, peripheral neuropathy. Perioperative nurses should share information on any existing contraindications with the anesthesia professional or prescriber. Nurses should apply IPC devices in a manner that avoids the tubing on the external sleeve surface, placing pressure on the skin and causing subsequent pressure injury. During the intraoperative and immediate postoperative periods, IPC devices should function continuously for at least 18 hours daily, unless patient care necessitates removal. Proper fit is key to the effectiveness of GCS. Incorrect sizing can cause patient injury. 
nurses should refer to the manufacturer's instructions for use and measure each of the patient's legs separately to determine the appropriate size. As part of a multimodal approach to preventing VTE, perioperative nurses should instruct patients to perform foot and ankle exercises to decrease venous stasis. However, this type of exercise, which causes the calf muscle to contract, should not replace quote, early and frequent postoperative ambulation. End quote. Postoperative ambulation. To decrease venous stasis, AORN recommends that patients quote, ambulate as soon as possible after surgery. End quote. Muscle contraction during ambulation results in natural compression of the venous system. Researchers performed a retrospective comparative study involving patients who underwent colectomy or proctectomy to determine if an intervention comprising an interdisciplinary approach to ambulation would reduce postoperative VTE. The results showed that the post-intervention group had higher ambulation rates on postoperative days 0, 1, and 2 and a lower VTE rate than the pre-intervention group, 0.4% versus 2.7%, P equals 0.02. The researchers concluded that implementing an interdisciplinary ambulation protocol for patients undergoing colorectal surgery decreased postoperative VTE rates. Ambulation may increase a patient's risk for a fall. Before initiating postoperative ambulation, perioperative nurses should assess the patient's fall risks and implement measures, for example, supervision during ambulation, to prevent a fall. They should collaborate with other team members, for example, anesthesia professional, surgeon, to identify factors that can inhibit postoperative ambulation, such as immobility, an indwelling urinary catheter, a neuraxial anesthesia block, and a lack of patient motivation. Patient and Family Education Perioperative nurses should provide educational VTE prevention materials to patients and designated caregivers before surgery to increase patient understanding and adherence to VTE prophylaxis. This material should address the importance of 1. Postoperative VTE prophylaxis 2. Ambulation and foot and ankle exercises 3. Hydration 4. Leg elevation 5 loose clothing on the legs, and six, proper leg position when sitting. In addition, the information should address signs and symptoms of VTE, when to seek help, and whom to contact for both possible VTE or difficulty adhering to the postoperative VTE protocol. The perioperative nurse should provide patients who are receiving pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis with information on the importance of 1 compliance with medication-related laboratory test schedules. 2. Consulting the prescribing licensed practitioner before stopping the VTE prophylactic medication or adding any additional medications, including over-the-counter medications. 3. Contacting the prescribing licensed practitioner if they observe signs of bleeding, for example, unusual bleeding, tarry red or black stool, coughing up blood or epidural hematoma after any spine procedure, for example, back pain, incontinence, extremity numbness, or tingling. And four, 
performing activities of daily living in a manner that avoids incidental bleeding. For example, using an electric razor, gently using a soft toothbrush and waxed floss. The perioperative nurse should provide patients receiving mechanical prophylaxis with preoperative and postoperative information on 1. Its benefits and the rationale for compliance 2. Proper sizing 3. Application and removal of devices 4. Length of use and 5. Complications associated with device use for example, blistering or discoloration of skin numbness, tingling. Before patient discharge, the nurse also should encourage early postoperative ambulation, when applicable, and provide contact information for any questions. They should assess the patient's ability to comply with instructions for use. For example, how to apply, remove, and clean the device, re-educate if necessary, and determine if the patient requires assistance. Scenario. Newton, an RN circulator, has been working in the OR of an academic medical center for four months. He is still on orientation, but has completed the general surgery, gynecology, plastics, and urology rotations. On the morning he begins his neurosurgery rotation, Newton is assigned with Finley, his preceptor, to care for a patient undergoing a multiple-level thoracic spine fusion. After obtaining medications from the pharmacy and the positioning equipment, Newton and Finley head to the designated OR to prepare for the procedure. As Newton opens the sterile supplies, Finley explains how the patient will be anesthetized, positioned, and prepped. Newton and Finley collaborate with the scrub person and confirm that the room is ready. While walking to the preoperative area, Finley explains some of the risk factors involved with the procedure, including bleeding, VTE, and pressure injury. Newton agrees that they should assess the risk factors for a possible negative outcome before transporting the patient, Ms. J, to the OR. Newton and Finley review Ms. J's electronic health record, and Newton notes that her laboratory test results are within normal limits. The Caprini score is 6 and flagged as high risk, and the pressure injury risk assessment results are flagged as moderate risk. Newton recognizes the need for interventions to prevent VTE and pressure injury. As he reviews the physician orders, Newton mentions to Finley that there is no order for mechanical VTE prophylaxis. Finley immediately reminds Newton that there is a recently implemented nurse-driven VTE protocol to follow. After reviewing the protocol and assessing Ms. J for potential complications, including the condition and size of her legs, as well as her allergies and medical comorbidities, that is, cardiac and peripheral vascular status. Newton and Finley determined that they should use an IPC device during the procedure. Newton approaches Ms. J's bedside and introduces himself. He reviews applicable items on the preoperative checklist with Ms. J and briefly describes VTEs and their associated risk factors. He shows her the components of the IPC device and explains how it will help reduce the risk of VTE development. Newton also discusses the importance of adhering to the prescribed VTE prophylaxis after discharge, ambulating early if approved by the physician, elevating her legs, and maintaining adequate hydration. After answering Ms. J's questions, Newton places the IPC sleeves on her calves and initiates the IPC pump. 
He then verifies that Ms. J's needs are met, and that her family member has no additional concerns, and leaves the bedside to document the initiation of mechanical VTE prophylaxis. He performs a final review of the preoperative checklist, and notices that the anesthesia professional has not completed their preoperative assessment. Newton performs a handover report with the preoperative nurse, noting that the IPC pump should not be turned off. He then returns to the OR with Finley to assist the scrub person with any additional needs. Approximately 10 minutes later, the perioperative charge nurse notifies Newton and Finley that Ms. J is ready for surgery. Newton returns to the preoperative area and disconnects the IPC pump tubing from the sleeves before transporting Ms. J to the OR with the anesthesia professional. Upon entering the OR, Newton immediately accesses the computer workstation on wheels to begin documenting. Finley politely reminds him that documentation can wait until later and asks him to reattach the IPC sleeves to the pump tubing and verify the pump is working properly. Finley explains that confirming proper functioning of IPC devices before placement of a regional block or induction of general anesthesia minimizes the period of venous stasis in the lower extremities to prevent VTE. Newton sighs and apologizes for becoming distracted by the documentation process. After general anesthesia induction, Newton disconnects the IPC tubing from the sleeves to facilitate prone positioning. Newton notices that Ms. J's toes are touching the bed and places pillows beneath her lower legs to suspend her toes above the mattress. He reconnects the sleeves to the pump tubing and then checks the tubing and connections to ensure they are not on the front of her calves, which could cause a pressure injury. He then begins performing patient skin antisepsis before the surgeon gowns and gloves. During the timeout, Finley notices that the IPC pump is not turned on and has Newton address it. The surgeon begins the procedure, and Newton completes the documentation. At a suitable time later during the procedure, Finley reviews patient care information with Newton, including the potential for VTE development when the IPC device is not turned on. Newton acknowledges the mistake and notes it in his orientation log as a reminder for future procedures. Conclusion Venous thromboembolism is a serious condition that can potentially affect patients who have recently undergone surgical procedures. An interdisciplinary team should develop and implement a VTE protocol to help mitigate risks to patients. Perioperative nurses should assess each patient preoperatively for VTE and bleeding risks and then collaborate as needed with licensed practitioners to select VTE prophylactic, that is, pharmacologic, mechanical, interventions, based on the risks and the organization's protocol. In accordance with the patient's condition and licensed practitioner's order, perioperative nurses should emphasize the importance of initiating postoperative ambulation as soon as possible. They also should provide patients and family members with information to assist with their understanding of VTE complications and improve adherence to postoperative VTE prophylactic measures.